0: Thank <laughs> you. I'm Kaya Maria Singh, the host, writer, and producer of Live is a Yodo podcast. Welcome! In today's episode, I'd like to share with you an essay titled Expeditions of Speaking Lucid Imitation English. It's about the trials and tribulations, as well as the fun and revelations of communicating in English as a second language. It may resonate with you if you too find English so slippery to have a good grip on. (laughs) I hope it may entertain you. Here we go. Expeditions of Speaking Lucid Imitation English I immigrated into the English-speaking world many years ago. I have gained tremendous personal and professional growth since then except that often I still feel like I'm locked up in a detox program with no end in sight. My battle is not with the bottle or any other type of addictions. Oh no, it's much trickier than that. I'm constantly reminded of a speech disorder, caused by my dependence on using English as a second language, the so-called ESL, to communicate on a daily basis. There are many genres of ESL. Mine specifically, it's called Chinglish, meaning Chinese English. Chinglish to me feels like alcohol to a drunk. If I don't try to avoid it, or at least watch carefully how much I allow it in my system, I could easily end up talking funny and getting into trouble. It would be nice if I could reduce the Chinglish content in my speech from a historical high of 50% to hopefully below 0.08%. So eventually, the words coming out of my mouth would be considered non-intoxicating, therefore safe enough for anyone to hear. But when? When will this ever happen? Some days, I'm quite eager to persevere in my rehab scheme. Other times, I'm depressed by my slow progress and lapses. Occasionally, I just want to throw up in the towel. Oh, just a sec. Is it throw the towel or throw up the towel? Oh well, whatever it is, you know what I mean. English is famous for its many rules, exceptions of the rules, and exceptions of the exceptions of the rules. The erratic nature of this language makes me wonder if its founders were a little drunk when they first conceived it. I also wonder if there was a conspiracy behind the development of the English language. Its intricate verb patterns, parallel constructions, subjunctive mood, infinite numbers of idioms and slang, and so forth, all seem rather maddening. Perhaps the creators of English shaped it specifically to confuse the ESL speakers, test our nerves, and prevent us from ever getting a clue. As a result, to us the outsiders, English and its elements will forever remain like fast changing weather. We will never know how wild it'll get or which cloud is gonna rain on us. Even just a smallest technicality, say, prepositions, which I fear and begrudge the most, can make us feel as if we were always walking on black ice. I distinctively remember a summer day some years ago when I went to a native Indian powwow for the first time in my life. My friends cautioned me beforehand to act with respect and courtesy at the event. Remembering this, I remained silent most of the morning while I watched everything. Soon, feast time came along, and the general atmosphere at the ground became more relaxed, and so did I. While I was eating, a native Indian gentleman walked up to me and asked, Are you Chinese? Can you read Chinese characters? Yes, yes, I replied eagerly. He then showed me his left forearm with a big smile and obvious pride. Look what I've got! It was a tattoo of two Chinese words that mean faith and trust. I was rather impressed by the meticulous artwork and exclaimed, Gee, who did this to you? The gentleman was taken aback by my question. After a long pause, he said emphatically, sounding defiant and upset. I think it looks very nice and I like it very much. Never mind who did this to me. Then he just walked away. Looking at his back, I was puzzled what had just happened. Unconsciously, I turned to an outlooker standing nearby and looked at him for a possible clue he prompted me with a gentle smile and voice. Did you mean to say who did this for you? Yes! Damn the prepositions! Those deceitfully insignificant characters capable of destroying my already shaky confidence of ever speaking proper English. After that incident, I vowed to take control of using prepositions. I wanted to study them. I thought I would start with an easy word like take. Apparently, there are at least 21 prepositions we can use with take, such as to, from, as, and so on. I felt it was a bit too much to take all that in. I decided to pick another easy word. How about mind? I proposed to myself and tried my luck. Oh boy, no luck. There are close to 60 phrases involving all kinds of prepositions with the word mind. At the back of one's mind, be of two minds about doing something, in one's mind's eye, so on and so forth. What caught my eyes was the phrase in one's mind's eye. I couldn't help but laugh <laughs> and wonder why one's mind only has one eye, not eyes. This was rather mind-boggling. I became irritated. I thought I would try one last time with a real no-brainer word, like my favorite Scrabble word, Go. Holy smoke! There are six and a half pages in my old-fashioned dictionary that are devoted to explaining what goes with goal. Can you believe it? That's it. No more prepositions. I quit. I will avoid using prepositions no matter what, starting now. I was so pleased that I was able to make my declaration without using a single preposition. Kidding aside, I knew it was unrealistic to avoid prepositions completely in the long run. But I would try to make do for as long as I could while I closed my eyes hoping for the best. Turning a blind eye on prepositions had helped me save some energy, although much less than I had hoped. Progress is so hard to combat. On the other hand, I've been thinking lately, so what if I will never be able to speak authentic English? Big deal. I think I can even take one step further by saying that I don't see the advantages native English speakers have over the ESLers. Only native English speakers should be cursed to carry the cross on their back and judged by their congregations. We, the ESLers, are from a different club. We quite enjoy the ease among other fellow ESLers. We have a unique, free-flowing, and efficient way of communicating. A Chinese ESLer who doesn't speak Korean and a Korean ESLer who understands no Mandarin can communicate with each other just fine through equally comprehensible Chinglish and Korean English. You want proof? Here's one. One day, many years ago, my Korean friend Agnes paid me a visit. It was just after supper time when she buzzed the speaker from my apartment building. As I greeted her over the intercom, she shouted in excitement, Quick come! Churchy! Korean pianist! Four-finger play! Hearing that, I flew downstairs. As soon as I reached the lobby, Agnes balked her head swiftly at me and dragged me to the front door. While we speed walked, I figured out almost everything she meant. We had to rush to a church to attend a show featuring a Korean pianist. Except, what was with the four-finger play? I asked Agnes. Pianists only four-finger play, she explained. Really? I couldn't believe it. Yes, she confirmed. So not use all ten finger play? I tried to clarify with her again. I spoke to Agnes the way she spoke to me so she could understand me clearly. Yes, she only four finger play. She patiently and firmly concluded. Ha, intriguing. I imagined the pianist was going to give a gymnastic type performance on the keyboard. I couldn't wait to see. Soon after we arrived at the church, I was more than intrigued by what I saw. The 20-some-year-old Korean pianist, Lee Hee-ah, was born with only four fingers, a thumb and a baby finger on each hand. She had no legs either. Her feet grew directly from her thighs. She used a gadget especially made for her to help her step on the pedals of the piano. She manipulated the piano with such command and ease. It was beyond a gymnastic performance. It was a show of magic and inspiration. The amazing grace she played moved the entire audience. I was in tears uncontrollably. As the night ended, I was so grateful that Agnes had taken me to the concert. Aren't you impressed that two ESL speakers can easily utter a few words to each other and give just the right amount of clarity and suspense? Can native English speakers rise to the occasion? No offense, but I doubt it. My doubt is grounded in another example. On one of my earliest days as a newcomer in this English-speaking world, I went to apply for my social insurance card. As I rode my bicycle, a driver drove by me and shouted, One way! One way! At first, I had no idea whom he was shouting at and what he meant, so I kept on going. A while later, a pedestrian and I both reached the red light at an intersection. As we stopped and waited for the light to change, she stared at me sternly, then pointed at a street sign with a big arrow on it. I looked up as she reinforced her message. It's a one-way street. Can't you see? You're riding against the traffic. It's dangerous. You need to get off the road now. Finally, it hit me, before a car would, that I had broken the law. Had the driver and the lady been ESLers, they would have simply warned me with this. Riding bicycle, fool! You direction opposite others! That way, I would have immediately understood everything and gotten off the road. What troubles me is, although we, the ESLers, enjoy our ease in speaking quite clear Chinglish, Korean English, and the like among us, English language authority figures don't quite approve it. They think we need to learn to speak and appreciate the authentic English. They see it their duty to correct us. And when we've abandoned what truly works for us, they seem so glad that finally we've come to our senses. The subject of authenticity reminds me of decaf coffee, white chocolate, artificial sweetener, imitation meat, engineered hardwood floor, fake eyelashes, or any other body parts. People know these alternatives aren't the real thing, but many of us want them, like them, appreciate them, and even prefer them or are totally dependent on them, partially because we can't have the real thing. Perhaps we, the ESLers, should send our English teachers some Chinese fortune cookies invented in America, or... Italian glass figurines, made in China. Let's see if they like them. And if they do, maybe they'll get the hint and let us speak our imitation English the way we can and do so naturally and effectively. I can almost hear the English linguistic authorities changing their arguments now. They'll probably say their problem with our imitation English It's not so much that it's unauthentic as it is broken. Well, as far as we the ESLers think, the English language is already broken without our help and to the point that it often makes no sense to us, the outsiders. For instance, even if you're speaking under the same principle, you can be right in one case but completely wrong in another. Why do we have to say a pair of pants instead of a pant? I'm told because we have two legs, so pants are always plural. Okay, then why don't we also say a pair of shirts rather than a shirt? We have two arms, don't we? But no, no. All English teachers say a shirt is a shirt is a shirt. It seems to me... Arms count less than legs do in the authentic English world. Why do people say it will cool down first, then freeze up? Shouldn't it be freeze down as cold air stays lower and things shrink in size when they're frozen? Uh Uh-uh, apparently freeze up is the correct way to say it. Then there are the countable and uncountable nouns that drive me nuts. People always say, count your money, but money is uncountable as a noun. On top of this, money is uncountable, but dollar is countable. The same confusion goes with fish, deer, and so forth. We sure can count them. Meanwhile, we can't count them. Go figure. I wonder how all the fish and the deer in the world would feel to be lumped all together and minimized into one single entity. Why can't we get rid of this countable versus uncountable nouns concept and keep things consistent and simple? Just say one deer, two deer, three deer, and one table, two table, three table. It will save so much of our mental juice. Or should I say juices here? I don't know, you tell me. I do want to point out to authentic English language authorities that I'm not attempting to make insults here. I'm only trying to bring to your attention how difficult it is for us outsiders, maybe even some native speakers, to get a grip on this slippery language. Perhaps you'll realize The authentic English is often just as incomprehensible and broken as the ESLers' imitation English. If native speakers choose to be content with all the imperfections and idiosyncrasies of the authentic English and make the best with what you are given, so can we, the ESLers, with our imitation English. You use and break it your ways. And we do in our styles. No arguments, only peace. Our choice and acceptance, great. That is why people prefer to live in the free world. So, come on ESLers. Let us put up our sign on the front door of our club. Just exclusive ESLers. Miscellaneous peoples, no enter. Let's get together and enjoy our freedom and continue with our expeditions of speaking our imitation English rather lucidly. If any authentic English expert, come knock our door, comment our sign, and suggest us correction. Let's smile and polite tell them our feeling. Please leave we alone. We happy. You take easy. Thanks many. Ha ha ha. You know I'm kidding. Thank you for listening. I hope you have enjoyed our time together. For more information or to share your feedback, please visit liveisayodo.com or email liveisayodo at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. And I appreciate your time. Now, allow me to send you off with a piano rendition of the classic Chinese folk music, Colorful Clouds Chasing the Moon. It illustrates ordinary citizens living in peace as they imagined the immortals flying to the Moon Palace on colorful and auspicious clouds. I would like to thank Yi Ran Wang. For his joyous performance on the piano, Margaret Meyer for her studious script editing, and Crowbar Media for skillfully producing today's episode. May peace, joy, and courage be with you. So long.